Matthew chapter 19, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And we'll read verses 1 through 9 responsively. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 9, the Word of God says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coasts of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. And let's pray. Father, thanks for the wonderful truths of Scripture regarding marriage and family. And we live in a world that uh, is just seemingly unhinged when it comes to the ideas of, of marriage and family. And thank you for the Word of God that teaches us uh, what your original intention was and how we can have successful ungodly families in this day and age. So I pray that you'd give me the words to say for this hour. Bless each family in the room. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Uh, we turn to this portion of Scripture tonight. I've got marriage on the brain. And of course, today, uh, Sarah and I have been married for 19 years. And I was thinking back uh, on some of those things. And it's what a wonderful 19 years it's been. Sarah and I were reliving some of our uh, marriage and wedding this afternoon. And I remember that. Uh, we got married in Maine, and uh, my father-in-law uh, performed the wedding and uh, did a great job with that. And so I remember at, at when it came time to kiss, he was a little nervous about the kiss. And uh, his little girl was about ready to get smooched by this, and uh, this mountain of manhood. And so <laughs> I wasn't quite such a large mountain back then. I was more like a molehill. But... Um, we got there and it got to the time where it say, you may kiss the bride, and he said, you may shake her hand. And everybody laughed, and I'm like, uh-uh. And uh, we all had a good laugh, and then I planted a smooch on her. It was appropriate. It was sweet. But I'd waited a while for this. And so uh, took a moment and had a sweet, godly kiss. And finally, he's like, okay, that's enough. And everybody laughed. And so... 
we had a great time and a, a good reception. I remember when we were driving away, uh, just watching, and, and really marriage, when you do it right, is such a wonderful thing because the first time we were in the car together, no chaperones, we didn't have to uh, each be home at a certain time that night. We didn't have to say goodbye. And we're driving away, and I look in the rearview mirror and see my in-laws and, and uh, sitting there, and that has to be hard for uh, in-laws, and I try to think about that. And, of course, my children will never get married until they're 40 or 50, perhaps. Uh, no, but there's coming a day where in God's plan that's probably going to happen, and I, I prepare myself, and I, I, I say to myself over and over, I can't kill the boy. I can't kill him. I, I can't kill him. I have to let him live if it's God's will. And so preparing for that and thinking that through. But uh, as we left the reception, we were still in, I was in my tux and she was in her beautiful white wedding dress. And uh, we didn't know how prophetic this was, but we were both feeling under the weather at our wedding. And so the first stop we made was on 202 there in Maine. There was an old IGA, it's still there. And uh, we stopped at the store to get cold medicine. And so I went into the store in my tuxedo, and they're like, wow, what happened? I just got married. And so the, we were parked in front of a big plate glass, just a glass wall. And so all the, the uh, cashiers and baggers went over, and they're waving at Sarah in the car, and she's there in her beautiful dress, and they're waving back, and I'm buying like NyQuil and Excedrin and all this other stuff. And so uh, we went to the uh, to, to our place of our honeymoon. It's just wonderful, just a lot of wonderful memories. And I thank God for a good woman. So I've had marriage on my mind today, but I've also had marriage on my mind. We've got a young couple getting married here soon, and uh, got some premarital counseling sessions set up, and I'm thinking through and looking through all the things that we usually teach in premarital counseling, and God's uh, allowed me to do uh, quite a bit of marriage counseling over the years and help couples get through rough spots and such, and, and uh, God's, God's blessed that. And so uh, I love the subject. I am not an expert on marriage, but I am a student of it. I always want to learn more so I can have a good marriage and so I can help other people to have a blessed marriage. And so tonight we're going to talk about marriage. It's a very foundational lesson, and we might over the next couple of weeks talk about it a little bit. I realized while I was praying about it, we haven't really discussed marriage and family uh, on purpose uh, for a while. And uh, I think that one of the benefits of a church like this is that we are a family church. And you and your children can come. And I know we have every form of family uh, in our church. We have single parents and, and uh, people that have been divorced and people that are, have been married a long time, people that are just newly married a few years, some people that are getting close to marriage, some kids that marriage seems so far away. Uh, but it's, it's coming at you like a freight train. And so you want to be ready for it. But uh, there, there's all kinds of different places where family, but I'm thankful I went to a church that even as a young person taught me the principles of successful marriage so that I could put them into practice. I went to a college, a Bible college, where they taught us the principles of successful marriage so we could have a Bible college. I didn't have a lot of great examples of marriage lived out in front of me. My parents were divorced. Uh, their parents were divorced, aunts and uncles divorced. I mean, it was just divorce everywhere. On my side of the family, on my wife's side of the family, just divorce everywhere. I, I think I have this right. Out of 17 children, I think that dad and mom are the only ones that have never been divorced out of 17 kids and divorced out of all of that. 
And I mean, just everywhere I look in my family, there's just divorce and destruction and all of these things. So I didn't have a godly example. Uh, now, my parents did the best they could. And after they got saved, of course, that really began to change our family. But learning from the Bible what a family was supposed to be and then going to church and seeing other people model out those families. We have some wonderful marriages in this room. And that, that ought to be helpful to all of us as we strive to reach toward that. However, no, long, no matter how long you've been married, we all need to remain students of marriage so we can continue to grow. Amen. So tonight I want to teach you just a very simple, basic, foundational message. Marriage is God's plan. Marriage is God's plan. And for some of you, this is going to be super foundational. For some of you, it might be uh, revelatory. But in this day and age where, where the very idea of marriage is under attack and often dismissed, it's important that we as Christians know that marriage is God's plan. Marriage is a glorious union of man and woman in body and spirit. It is not only a legal contract, but also a spiritual union. And as I said, many in this day have given up on marriage. How uh, marriage is archaic. Uh, some believe it to be unnecessary. I hear things like, well, pastor, how do we know if, we're, uh, if we can get along unless we live together first? How do we know that we're going to be able to stand one another unless we move in together? Uh, marriage is an old concept and love lives without the boundaries of marriage and all this crazy foo-foo stuff. Uh, but listen, marriage was God's plan. Marriage was God's plan. Let me say it again. Marriage was God's plan. It's not a man's idea. It wasn't something that some government official thought up or some religious leader thought up. We go back to the very beginning. Marriage was God's plan. And what does the Bible say? In our text in Matthew chapter 19, uh, we see that Hebrew marriages were considered sacred, but divorce had become an easy way out of marriage. Does that sound familiar? And in an attempt to tempt our Lord and catch him in his words, the Pharisees asked Jesus about divorce. They knew this was a contentious subject, and it's still a contentious subject today, is it not? And so uh, the Savior answered their question about divorce by reminding them of five foundational truths of marriage. And these truths remind us that marriage was God's idea it's God's plan for mankind. I just want to uh, go through this tonight. Very simple, yet so foundational. If you don't have this right, nothing else is going to matter. Let me say, number one, marriage was ordained by God. And so if we look at the, the scriptures we read, verse 3, the Pharisees came to tempt him. Verse 4, and he, that's Jesus, answered and said unto them, Have ye not read? that he which made them at the beginning. And so Jesus said, before I deal with your question, your contentious question about divorce, let's go back and, and remind ourselves of the foundational rules. Rule number one, marriage was ordained by God. Marriage was God's idea. Hold your place here and look at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 and the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. So while it's true that there will be some people 
a small percentage of people that it will not be God's plan for them to get married. And we have some folks in our church like that, wonderful Christian people. It was just never God's plan for them to get married. And by the way, I'm glad they recognize that. The only thing worse than not being married is being married to the wrong person. Let me say that again. The only thing worse than not being married is being married to the wrong person. And so uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. However, it is God's plan for most people for them to get married and to have a family. And the Bible said it's not good for man to be alone. I will make and help meet for him. And so he was going to make a special partner for Adam. Then look at verse 20 of the same chapter. And Adam gave names to all cattle and the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found in help a help meet, that means acceptable, for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, this is God's plan, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and they shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Jesus quoting this. Verse 25, And they were both naked, and the man and his woman were not ashamed. Man and the woman, a man and his wife were not ashamed. And so marriage was ordained by God. Way back in the very beginning, God said, I'm going to have a man and a woman. I'm going to have a special relationship that's different from every other relationship on earth, and I'm going to make them a home and a family. Marriage was ordained by God. Number two, marriage was endorsed by Jesus. Marriage was endorsed by Jesus. And so Jesus endorsed the concept of marriage in Matthew 19 when he went back and said, let me remind you how God planned it in the beginning. And his reiteration of those foundational truths was his stamp of approval on God's original intent for marriage. We also find that, that Jesus endorsed marriage by attending the marriage of Cana in Galilee. John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, I'll read it for you. And the third day there was a marriage of Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And so Jesus went to the marriage. He didn't go there as a protest. He didn't stand up and say, this marriage is an archaic ceremony. No, he went there. This was God's plan. And by the way, a godly marriage, a godly wedding is beautiful and filled with symbolism of Christ and the church. And so we see marriage was endorsed by Jesus. So we're moving quickly. Number one, marriage was ordained by God. Number two, marriage was endorsed by Jesus. Number three, marriage is between one man and one woman. Look at verse four, Matthew chapter 19, verse four. And he, Jesus, answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now I want you to look at me. A few years ago, the Supreme Court decided that marriage could be between anybody. A man and a man could be called a marriage. A woman and a woman could be called a marriage. Let me tell you something. The Supreme Court didn't form marriage. They didn't ordain marriage. And they don't get to decide what marriage is. I'm sick and tired of these courts politicizing and instead of just looking at the Constitution and the written law and deciding whether something is law or not, they are making law from the bench. They are creating laws. A judge 
has no power in our Constitution. A judge has no power to create a law. It is, it is the Congress that creates laws. The president doesn't make laws. Judges don't make laws. Courts don't make laws. Congress makes laws. And we have this runaway court system in America. And uh, liberal presidents have filled uh, America's court systems with liberal judges who don't believe the Constitution and believe that they can change the shape of America by, by instilling laws and overturning cultural norms. My friend, no matter what the Supreme Court says, marriage is between one man and one woman. Not because we're full of hatred, but because God decides what marriage is. Marriage was His idea. He ordained it. He founded it. It's His plan. He sets the rules. And so, uh, listen, there is no such thing in God's eyes as homosexual marriage. We have young kids nowadays being in school, being taught from the earliest of ages in some states that it's okay to have two moms and two dads and all of these things. My friend, that's not godly. That's not God's plan. And I know that if you are steeped in, in, in uh, worldly culture, if, you have been, if your brain has been infiltrated and saturated with, with uh, what is popular in culture, that's going to seem like, how can he even say that? Because that's what God said. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Let me say this, marriage is between one man and one woman, right? Oh, you say, well, preacher, what about in the Old Testament? These guys had a lot of wives, and boy, they did, and they paid for it too. You can't show me a happy plural marriage in the Old Testament. <laughs> it's right. Uh, look, look at all those people. Look at Abraham. And Sarah had the idea that, well, we'll have, we'll have our handmaid and she will bear children unto me. That didn't work out how they planned. Because God made for one man and one woman to be a family. And so in the Old Testament, God would wink at the idea of plural marriage, but it was never his plan, and it plagued mankind with trouble. Look at poor Solomon, the wisest man in the world, but all of these wives eventually turned his heart against God. It's never worked out well. It's never been God's plan. The Mormons had it wrong from the beginning. God's plan for marriage is one man and one woman. Think about this. God started from nothing in the Garden of Eden. He created Adam. The first thing he told Adam, and you can read it in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the first thing he told Adam was go, multiply, and replenish the earth. Fill up the earth with people. Well, don't you think God's smart enough to know that if he gave Adam a hundred wives, they could have filled up the earth faster? No, but it was God's plan, one man, one woman. That's what marriage is. God decides what marriage is. Amen? And so we learn that marriage was ordained by God. Marriage was ordained by, endorsed by Jesus. Number three, marriage is between one man and one woman. Number four, marriage is the deepest earthly relationship. Look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. And so he said, and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain or they two shall be one flesh. That's such an important verse. 
So in marriage, God takes two different people and he makes them one. When God looks at a husband and wife in a way that you and I can't see, they have been made one flesh. God looks at them like a unit. There is no other relationship on earth that is so close mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Matter of fact, how many of you have seen older people that have been married for like 100 years? I mean, they start to even look like each other. Uh, They start talking like each other. They begin to think the same. And you first get married, and it's like, I married an alien. I thought I knew how this person thinks. And they're so weird, and they're so different. And I didn't know what I was getting into. Welcome to the club. But God makes you uh, one. And in this beautiful process, over time, and as, as the longer you are together... God forms you and makes you one and you begin to think alike and you begin to feel the same about things. And spiritually, as you grow closer to Christ, you grow grow closer to each other. Physically, he makes you one in a way that is not appropriate with any other human on the planet. And so a marriage is the deepest earthly relationship. What about couples living together? Just because they're playing house doesn't mean it's got God's stamp of approval on it. And I, I don't mean to be unkind here. I don't mean to be uh, hurtful. But let me just say plainly, living together is a sin. Living together outside of the bounds of marriage is a sin. And we have to speak plainly in these, this day and age. You say, oh, that's archaic. No, it's biblical. And so... A matter of fact, marriage includes the guiltless privilege of physical intimacy. Isn't that a great statement? Marriage includes the guiltless privilege of physical intimacy. But think about this. Any sexual act outside of marriage is a sin. Say, Pastor, do you know what year it is? I'm aware You sound like crazy. They're the crazy ones. What kind of cult is this? If we're a cult, this is the way humanity lived and believed for thousands of years. Godly communities. I'm not changing anything, folks. I'm just reminding you of how God set it up from the very beginning. And nowadays they look at at you and I like we've got two heads or like we're crazy. No, immorality has been around Uh, from the beginning of time, it's just never been blessed. It's always ended in destruction. A family that includes immorality uh, is eventually destroyed. Uh, Communities, nations that accept immorality are eventually judged and destroyed. Look in your Bible. Look through history. It's always been that way. And I'll make this statement that may be shocking, and we might preach preach about this years ago. But it's so important we know and we're reminded in this day of immorality. Immorality is one of the most judged sins in all of the Bible. You want to talk about a sin that gets God to punish it quickly and harshly. Immorality is in the very top of the list. You say, why is that? We might get into that deeper. Because I believe one reason is because immorality is a picture of between Christ and the church. And listen, you don't get to go to heaven unless you trust Jesus as your Savior. There's that commitment, there's that act of faith, 
and then you enjoy the joys of heaven. And it's thus it is in marriage. You make that commitment. You have that eternal bond, and then you get to enjoy the joys of marriage. But whenever you go past the commitment of marriage, and you say, I'm going to get into heaven with no commitment, God says, no, you won't. And it's always been judged harshly. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, a verse every Christian should have memorized. Young and old should have this verse memorized because it's an anchor in a wicked and perverse world. Hebrews chapter 13. And look at verse 4. Let's read it together. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Isn't that a good verse? Marriage is honorable. And there's something called the marriage bed that a couple can partake in, and it's undefiled. It's pure. It's holy. A matter of fact, boy, the, the Song of Solomon gives a holy picture of the marriage bed. And uh, it's beautiful, beautiful poetry there. However, any activity outside of the marriage covenant is a sin and whoremongers those are those that partake outside of the bounds of marriage and adulterers those are they who break the bounds of marriage they're married to one but they want to go and be immoral with someone else that's adultery and then you have the the, the, there's a lot of words for immorality in the new testament we're not going to get deeply into that tonight but uh, god has a lot of descriptive words but the simple truth is folk any Sexual activity outside of marriage is a sin. And I don't care if it's in your mind or on a screen or in person. It's all a sin. There is one person in the world that you can enjoy in the intimate way. And that is the person you're married to. By the way, the Bible gives this warning, married person, wife, husband. The Bible gives this warning. Once you're married, don't defraud your husband or your wife. What that means is don't withhold your body because you're upset at them, because you're angry at them, because you want to get your way. Because the Bible says that gives Satan room for temptation. And every wife ought to understand that there is one person on the world that your husband can lawfully Enjoy the pleasures of marriage, and that is with you. Don't rob him of that over pettiness. And every man ought to understand. The Bible says very clearly, once you get married, your body is not your own. Your body belongs to your wife, and ma'am, your body belongs to your husband. That is in direct contradiction to this idea, it's my body, I'll do what I want with it. No, once you get married you are saying the two flesh become one. I know we're dealing with a lot of things there, my friend, but this world is wicked. It is vile. And we have to, we must strive, we must draw a line in the sand and say as God's people, we're going to strive to be holy and at least keep the marriage relationship holy and pure. We said number one, 
Marriage was ordained by God. Number two, marriage was endorsed by Jesus. Number three, marriage is between one man and one woman. Number four, marriage is the deepest earthly relationship. And number five, and lastly, marriage is for life. Look at verse six. Verse six, wherefore... They are no more twain, two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder or tear apart. Let me just explain to you folks, marriage is for life. You say, well, I didn't know what I was getting into. Too late now. Too late now. Well, I just think we're incompatible. Maybe. You know, God can fix that. You turn to God, He can fix that. Well, I'm just not happy. Did you know that there are more important things than your personal happiness? God is not up in heaven saying, of everything I have to do, Today, I need to make sure Paul Chapman is happy. But we live in a humanistic, hedonistic world. Happiness is the God. It's the goal. Well, I'm unhappy today. There are days of unhappiness. There are seasons of unhappiness. There are difficulties. And while marriage is the most wonderful union on the planet, you're going to have tough days. And you're going to have to humble yourself. And you're going to have to learn some things that you didn't know. And one of the things marriage teaches you is it ain't about you. Let me just warn you. If you want to get married because you want someone to cook your food, hire a chef. If you want to get married because you want someone to clean up after you, hire a maid. If you want to get married because you want someone to make you feel safe and protected, hire a bodyguard. Those are all terrible reasons to get married. But here's this. Think about this. Don't marry the person you can live with. Marry the person you can't live without. Don't marry the person that you hope they'll take care of your needs. Marry the person that you say, I want to be the one to care for them. I looked at my wife before we got married and said, I want to take care of her. I want to pay her bills. I want to put food on her table. I want to protect her. I want to hold her when she's scared. I want to wipe away her tears when she cries. I want to be that guy. And man, marry someone where you say it'd be a privilege to make him food. It'd be a privilege to pick up his dirty socks. It'd be a privilege to bear his children. It would be a privilege because what you're going to find out, what you're going to find out, friend, is marriage is a ministry. Marriage is a service. And happy marriage is whenever each partner says, I'm not going to try to make you fulfill my needs, but I want to spend my life 
fulfilling your needs as we honor the Lord. Selfishness is the number one killer of marriage. Because marriage ain't about you. It's about a selfless commitment to the one you love. God said marriage is for life. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. You know, there used to be, and I saw when I was up in Providence a month or so ago, and they had a billboard, $1,000 for divorce. $1,000, easy divorce. There's no such thing as an easy divorce. And Satan promotes divorce as an easy way out. Once you marry somebody, even if you get a divorce, you'll always be linked to them. You'll always have a connection. Especially if you have kids. You'll always have that connection. And Satan wants you to believe that, man, if you can just get a divorce, if you can just get that woman out of your life, if you can just get that man out of your life, all your problems would go away. You'd get to do whatever you want. I mean, you'd get to, she wouldn't be nagging you, and he wouldn't be telling you what you can and can't do. I mean, it would be awesome. But the problem is there's no such thing as an easy divorce because God did something spiritual when you got married, he did something spiritual. It's not just a legal contract that you can find a loophole and you just don't have to worry about it anymore. It is a spiritual union that God does something sacred and special. And it can't just be undone by the signing of paperwork. I often tell people getting a divorce is like taking a piece of plywood at the end and trying to rip it apart. You might be able to get it apart with enough work and the right tools, but it's not going to be pretty and it's going to splinter and crack and break and it's going to be broken. You say, what about people that have been divorced? Thank God for His grace. Amen? We've got folks in our church that have been divorced and they know that I'm not down on divorced people. Sometimes life spins out of control. Sometimes life brings you things that you never knew could be possible. Sometimes the unthinkable happens. But it is the divorced people that will tell you divorce isn't easy. It's the divorced people that will tell you divorce doesn't fix everything. It is a terrible, ugly thing. Matter of fact, you say, well, the problem is the person I'm married to. Over 50% of first marriages end in divorce. Let me give you a statistic that will shock you. Well, clearly we just married the wrong person, and so now if we marry a different person, everything will be better. Over 60% of second marriages end in divorce. Let me shock you further. Third marriages, over 70% end in divorce. What the Bible tells us and what statistics tell us is the real problem is not who we married. The real problem is how we're trying to be married. And once you believe that marriage is a quick fix, it's easier to do it the next time, it's easier to do it the next time. And how many of us know people that have been married three, four, five times? Marriage isn't the issue. Now I know, listen, there's abuse, there's all kinds of things, there's infidelity. Don't make me go through all the caveats in this one message. But let me tell those of you who are not married yet, you marry the right person and you stay married for life. Let me tell those of you that are married, 
Stop worrying about whether you married the right person and be married God's way. And those of you that have been divorced, Jesus said, come unto me. And boy, that's the answer. You come to Jesus and you can find healing. You can find help. Let's look at, you say, well, didn't God allow divorce? Let me show you last verse here, last verses. Look at verse 7. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He, Jesus, saith unto them, Moses because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you or allowed you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. This is such an important verse. God never intended for marriage to end in divorce. Moses, because he was trying to deal with all these people, Moses suffered people to have divorce and God allowed it. But Jesus says very clearly, from the beginning it was not so. That was never God's intention. And then Jesus gives further, and he said, verse 9, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. There's no sin so personal and so grievous in the world as a betrayal of a marriage. I've seen it, helped people through it. It's terrible. It's awful. But watch this. It doesn't have to kill your marriage. Because God can still heal that marriage. Notice what we read earlier. Moses, for the hardness of your heart. And I've got a whole separate lesson on on how to stay married that I cover this, but the reason why marriage doesn't work is because people get so hard and they get a hard heart and they say, I don't want God to help this. I don't care what God said. I will not do it God's way. And someone in the marriage gets a hard heart and they cut themselves off from the grace of God. And they say, I will not let you help me. Watch this. I believe this with all my heart. Any marriage where the two people stay close to God or if they sin, they run back to God. God can help any marriage through anything. But it's when someone gets a hard heart. And we've seen terrible cases over the years of immorality and someone gets hard of physical abuse those have to be handled very delicately i mean if someone's in danger that has to be handled in very specific ways because of the sin of man marriage and family can get complicated quickly can't it but jesus and god can help us through it all so tonight we simply go back to marriage in the beginning. I thought this would be a good lesson for all of us. Marriage was ordained by God. Marriage was endorsed by Jesus. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Marriage is not is marriage is the deepest earthly relationship. And it includes the guiltless privilege of physical intimacy. Number 5, marriage is for life. There's nothing so sweet as a marriage blessed by God. 
Let me just remind you, though, any attempt at a familial solution other than marriage is an affront to God and a recipe for heartache. People say, oh, that's archaic. We're going to do it our way. We'll see how that works out for you. It doesn't work out very well. You say, I know lost people that they're still married and give it time. I know people that have done it their way. I know swingers who've done it like this. I know people that have special arrangements. Give it time. It always ends the same way. Because marriage was God's plan. He sets the rules. He told us how to do it. And you'll either be blessed doing it His way or you'll find heartache trying to do it another way. Do marriage God's way and be blessed. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the reminder of marriage. Such foundational, simple truths, but help us not to overlook the simple. And if we don't have the foundation right, then the rest of the building will be crooked and unstable. And so help us understand this. Help us in all of our families. Uh, Lord, there's a lot of things that we didn't say. There's a, marriage is a big concept. And, but Lord, help us to not focus on the questions we may have. Let's ask those and seek the biblical answers. But Lord, let's focus on what we know tonight. We know the foundation of marriage is set and secure. It works every time. And so please give us strong families, strong marriages in uh, our church. Please. Heads about eyes are closed. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar is open.